have your Bibles, I'd love for you to show up there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. While you're finding your place there, do you hear the story of the 85-year-old woman who went on a blind date with a 92-year-old man? Did y'all hear about that? Yeah, they went on a blind date. And after the date was over, the lady came home and the 95-year-old, excuse me, the 85-year-old woman's daughter was at home after the date. And uh, she walked in and she looked very frustrated. And the daughter uh, noticed that her mom looked, I mean, she's just bum-fuzzled, frustrated. And uh, the daughter said, Mom, what's wrong? She said, you're not going to believe this. I had to slap that guy three times. And... uh, The daughter said, three times, Mom, what what do you mean? Did he try to get fresh? And uh, she said, no, I thought he was dead. (laughs) All right, well, if you found your place in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, that'll probably be the only time I hear you laugh this message. Again, this passage is filled with the most complex and controversial verses of the New Testament. And, uh, but it's God's Word, and God's Word is always true. And the good news is that it is applicable to today, but not possibly how you think it is. There are many, many uh, churches out there today that will uh, interpret this from an allegorical perspective, which means they'll spiritualize this text, and they will make the text a pretext, and they'll put into the verse instead of drawing out of the verse. You understand that my goal is your pastor is not to make the Bible say what I want it to say, but to show you what it says. To expound the Word of God. To expose the Word of God. And then our responsibility is to place ourselves up under the Word of God and listen to what God's Word says and let it wash us and let it change us for His glory, for His honor and praise. So if you found your place here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse number 2. Now, it's very important to remember what Paul has already said. Remember... Paul has said that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. He said that chapter 10, verse 31. And then he went on to say uh, that um, in, in verse number 1 of chapter 11, he says, Be followers of me because I'm following after Jesus Christ. All right? So he says, imitate me because I'm going to imitate Christ. Now, with that context in mind, if you found your place and you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? <clears throat> Here's what the text says. Hang in there with me. Make a commitment to stay with me to the end. Nobody, not one person left in the last hour. I'm talking about they hung in there the whole time. So I'm asking you to do the same. Notice what the Bible says in verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered to you. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. Uh, For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if she be ashamed for a woman to be shorn or shaven, uh, let her be covered. 
For a man indeed ought, to cover his, ought not to cover his head for as much as he is in the image of the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but uh, the woman for the man. For this cause uh, ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as much as, for as the woman uh, is, is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. Uh, by all things of God. Judge in yourself. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Look at that person beside you and go, oh, no. <laughs> okay, now sit down. Let's pray. <laughs> We're going to have fun with this one. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. You gave it to us without any mixture of error. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we study today, that you would speak to our hearts. Again, I pray that you would use these lips of clay, anoint me, fill me all the way up to the top, Lord, like this is the first time I'm delivering this message. Father, I pray for the hearer. I pray you'd give us ears to hear. I pray you'd give us hearts to receive. I pray that you would encourage every saint that's in this room today. And Lord, I pray, Father, you would challenge every saint that's in this room today. And God, I do ask in the name and through the blood of Jesus that if there be someone here that's lost, that does not know the free pardon of sin, that today would be the day that they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving us. Bless this time together now, I pray, in Jesus' name. And the church said, In our culture today, this passage is politically incorrect. Would you agree with that? All right, so also when you read this passage, this passage is very clear. Would you agree with that? I mean, it's clear what the passage says. When you look at this passage of Scripture, Paul says that a woman should cover her head in church. That's found in verse 5 and verse 6. Now, listen to me very carefully. This is my third service. 815 service, uh, 930 service, and this service. As I look around, we've only had two women uh, today have a hat on covering, covering their head. Two women have a hat on covering their head. And um, so they just let you know, this, our culture, we don't do that. We, sometimes we do it at Easter, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas. But culturally, that's not uh, what we do most of the time. But Paul says here in this passage, he says a woman should cover her head. And also the Bible says short hair for a woman is clearly wrong. That's verse 14 and 15 right there. Why, why in the world you say that? And... He also said long hair for a man is clearly wrong. In verse 14, you laughing. I know you're like, why you're laughing because you're a man and you got long hair. <laughs> Hang in there with me. Hang in there. Don't leave me yet now. Don't leave me. So here's the question. Do we really take the Bible seriously? Because that's what the world's asking. Hey. Do y'all really take the Bible seriously? Or do you just pick the verses you like to interpret literally? And then do you just take those verses and you pick and you choose with the parts of the Bible that you want to follow and you follow those, but if you don't want to follow it and then you just don't follow it? 
here's the real question. What is going on in Corinth? What's going on in this passage of Scripture? Because when you read this passage, remember where we came from. We just spent three chapters, Paul talking about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And he was combating legalism. And yet now here we come, right after he's done talking how dangerous legalism is, he comes in and it looks like that he's put this legalistic demand on the church and says this is the way the women got to do it and this is the way that men got to do it. You might look at that and say, man, I do not understand. That is hard to understand. I got good news for you. Listen to me. I've got good news for you today. If that was your first thought when you read this, you're in good company. Because Peter said the same thing. Let, let me show you. Uh, find in your Bible 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, I believe. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to get you to the right place. Yeah, 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to notice what Peter said about Paul's writing. This cracks me up for some reason. I find it to be hilarious. But Paul was, as he's writing of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter picked up on some things. And Peter says, man, listen, there's some things here that are very interesting that Peter's writing about. They're true, but they're very interesting. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15. Peter's talking about growing in grace. Notice what he says about Paul. He says, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Peter. Now, he says he's a beloved brother. He loves, uh, excuse me, our beloved brother Paul. He loves Paul. Peter loves Paul. He says, even our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given him uh, that hath written unto you. He says, Paul talked about salvation by grace. He's beloved. We love him. Verse 16. As also in his epistles, notice it's plural, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. (laughs) He said, I've read some of Paul's writings, and there's some things that I don't quite understand. They're hard to understand. That's what Peter said. So if Peter says it's hard to understand, I take great comfort in that, saying, well, okay, so my first reading, it is hard to understand. So when you dive into this verse a little bit more, though, you begin to see why this verse says what it says and how it makes sense in the 21st century. So before we tackle this verse, let me remind you of some key truths about every epistle in the New Testament. Here are some key points, key truths to remember about every epistle that's in the Word of God. Truth number one, every New Testament epistle is an occasional document. Every New Testament epistle is an occasional document. Now, what I mean by that is that each and every epistle was written for a specific reason, under specific circumstances, in a specific culture, to address specific situations. Some situations are cross-cultural. For example, remember when we were preaching through 1 Corinthians chapter 5? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul brought up that in the church there was a man who was having an affair with his stepmom. And he said how wrong that was and how terrible that was and how you just need to do something about it. You don't need to let that linger. If it's happening, you got to stop it. As a matter of fact, Paul says, put him outside the church. you got to, you, you got to let, him, let him go to the world. And in letting him go to the world and letting the world have its way with him, he'll come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of time, we find that to be true. And uh, in 2 Corinthians, we see him coming back. 
We call that right there a cross-cultural doctrine. If there is affairs going in the church, going on in the church, we have to deal with them. As your pastor, I have to deal with it. If, I, if there's evidence and it's true, I've got to deal with it. However, in this particular passage, there's something different. It's different. This is not a cross-cultural problem. So we find, first of all, every New Testament epistle is an occasional document for a specific reason, a specific culture, a specific circumstance, a specific situation. Point number two. Understand the culture. Understanding the culture of Corinth is essential in not misreading this passage. You can very easily misread this passage if you do not understand what's happening in Corinth during the first century. Paul wrote this letter in the first century to the church at Corinth for a specific reason, under specific circumstances, for a specific situation. And in doing so, we've got to understand what was going on in Corinth. Remember, I've been saying this ever since we started the book. Corinth was like present-day what? Las Vegas. I mean, it was just crazy. All kind of hedonism was going on there. It was an amazing place. And it was just really a wretched place in regards to the degradation. They were pagan worshipers everywhere. Everywhere you turn, there was a different temple and they were worshiping a false god or a false idol. Don't forget, the temple of Aphrodite was in Corinth where they had temple prostitutes that were there. And so, one thing's for sure. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth... One of the circumstances that they were living under was there was extreme hedonism in their area. I mean, they were right there in the city and where all of this was taking place. And Paul did not want the church to look anything like a pagan worship service. He wanted it to glorify and honor God. So he did not want the church to imitate the practices of pagan worshipers around them. This is why you see the specific practices that Paul wanted the church to practice to to, to, to fall under, if you would, and to participate in. Now, let me give you three goals for this message I'm going to give you this morning. There are three goals for this message that I want to give you. Goal number one, I want us to understand the text. That's first and foremost. Understand the text. Uh, what did Paul say and why did he say it? Number two, the second thing I want us to do is I want us to apply the text. Apply the text. How can we apply this? It's written to the first century Corinthian church. How can we apply it to the 21st century Maysville? Number three. And then I want us to practice the truth. How can we live out the truth that we find here in this text if they were written for the first century? How can we take that? It's called culturalization. How can we culturalize that teaching to today and then us live under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. Another thing we got to answer. Are there things in our culture that we should not participate in because it hinders the advancement of the gospel of Christ? Or are there things that we should be engaged in that would advance the gospel of Christ? So we have to answer all those questions. So with, with that said, with that question uh, stated, let me show you three things about this text concerning God's ordained order when it comes to gender and how we are to dress and act in church. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice here in the text are biblical distinctions. 
biblical distinctions. In verse 2 and 3, there are some biblical distinctions that you and I must observe. Notice what he says there in the text, verse number 2. He says, now I praise you, brethren. Let's stop right there. Paul is saying, I've got some positive things I want to thank you for. I want to praise the Lord for you. I want to tell you how proud I am for you. There are some things that I want to praise you, brethren, Christian, born-again children of God. I'm going to say thank you for doing two things in particular. What are they? Number one, he says, you remember me in all things. Now, the term remember me in all things here is speaking of general practices that Paul taught the church at Corinth when he was there. Remember, Paul spent about 18 months there. And as he was there teaching and training the church, he gave them some general practices to participate in. He says, I want to thank you, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, for participating in these general practices that I gave you. So what are those general practices? Probably having church the first day of the week. Probably he was encouraging them because they had church, they had Bible study, they had prayer time, they had evangelistic time where they were sharing their faith. I mean, there were a lot of general practices that the Corinthians were doing that Paul says, man, I praise you for these. You haven't given up on these things. You still are doing them. Good job, guys. Good job. And he says, here's the second thing I'm very thankful for. He says, I'm also thankful that you keep the ordinances. Keep the ordinances. Now, <clears throat> if you've got a study Bible, you'll probably notice, or if you've got a different translation, you've probably noticed that that word ordinance is translated traditions. It's actually the Greek word for traditions, but, but, don't miss this. The traditions or ordinances that he's referring to is the Lord's Supper and Baptism. Hey. So how do you know that? Well, the context tells us. Because next week, Paul's going to be dealing specifically with the Lord's Supper. And so he tells them here in this passage of Scripture, he says, I'm very proud of you that you haven't stopped doing the Lord's Supper. You're still doing it. Now, there's some things you're doing wrong. He's going to deal with that next week. But you hadn't just quit on me. You just, didn't, you just didn't stop doing it. So I'm very thankful for that. You've done the general things, and you haven't given up on the specific things. And I give you a round of applause for that. I'm very thankful. There's a positive encouragement uh, for you as Paul gives to the, the church at Corinth. Then number two. In verse number 3, he gives an instructive encounter. He then encounters them in an instructive truth, if you would, or a few instructive truths that are vital to the health of any society and any culture. What are they? Look at verse number 3. He says, but I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of, of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, if you have your pens, I want you to underline some things. If you're taking notes on the back of the bulletin, there's a section to take notes if you want to do so. I strongly encourage you to do this today. This is one of the most controversial verses in Scripture. We're living in a day where toxic masculinity is, I mean, it's absolutely, that's the topic of the day. Now, let me just say this because I want to be clear and plain on it, if I, uh, as clear and plain as I can. I think the Harry and or the Henry Weinsteins or whatever you call whatever his name is out there today, I think they need to be put under the jail. Nobody should treat women the way that he's treated women, period. 
okay? But the Word of God, in this passage in particular, never teaches toxic masculinity. Never. It never teaches toxic masculinity. As a matter of fact, when we approach the Bible, we've got to remember, I'm not here and you're not here to correct it. We're here to put ourselves up under it and say, this is what the Lord says, and then find a way, if you would, in the way of obedience to exercise that principle that we just read. And so in regards to that, I want you to notice some things about this encounter that he has. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is I want you to see the men and the women in regards to the words. If you have your pen or pencil, I'd underline the word man and woman in the text. Let's look at it again. Let me help you. Verse number three. But I would have you to know that the head of every man, I'd underline that, is Christ. And the head of the woman, I'd underline that, is the man. And the head of Christ, I'd underline line that too, is God. Now there's a couple of things we need to understand here. We need to understand what context is this word man and woman used. The word man and the word woman is used in the context of husband and wife. Now how do you know that, pastor? Well, the context tells us in verse 8 and 9. In verse 8 and 9, it's very clear he's referring there to husband and wife relationships. So in referring to husband and wife relationships, when we see the word man, we should automatically think of the word husband. When we think of, see the word woman, we should think of the word wife. Why? Because the Greek words here are interchangeable. It, they mean both, the both, both things. It means husband and wife, and it means male and female, or man and woman. So notice what it says now when we place that into it. But I would have you to know that the head of every husband is Christ, and the head of the uh, wife is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So man and woman is talking about husbands and wives. And as it's talking about husbands and wives, it may not be politically correct in our day and age, but it is biblically correct if you want to have a happy marriage. If you want to have a healthy marriage, you've got to reject what culture says, and you've got to accept what the Bible says. Now, let me say a few words, if I could, about biblical headship. Now, listen to me very carefully. Don't walk out on me. Listen to me. Number one, the first thing I want to say is that a biblical marriage relationship is not about superiority or inferiority. Let me say it again. A biblical marriage is a relationship that is not about superiority or inferiority. It is a relationship that's about equality in position and equality in value, yet distinction in role and function. That is to say that when it comes to my wife and I, we are together. In fact, we're one. And when you look at Scripture, you see this to be true. Where did God, what part of, of, of Adam's body did God take Eve from? The, the side, the rib. He did not take Eve uh, from the heel that man might lord over her. He did not take Eve from man's, uh, from the head, that there might be a, a dominance about that. No, it came from the side, where there's this equality, if you would, in position, this equality in value, yet distinct in role and function. And so he says there in this passage of Scripture, he says in verse number 3, this is true even with Christ. The head of Christ is God. You see it there? I'd underline that. Because this is what we call in Bible college, uh, we're in seminary now, So, because I'm not really preaching, I'm trying to teach you what this passage says. This is what you call the economic trinity. The economic trinity. 
the economic trinity is the relationship that the trinity chose to communicate with each other. This is not to say that one's greater than the other, but the flow of communication comes from the Father to the Son. God is still one. He'll always be one. God is one. But you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. And the three are one. Just like you. You're not three people. You're one person. But you've got a body, you've got a soul, and you've got a spirit. And so we find here in God, we find God, there is this co-equal, co-eternal, if you would, position that has to communicate with each other. And the way that they've chosen to communicate with each other is called the economic trinity, where God the Father speaks to the Son and the Son to the Holy Spirit as He dwells inside of us. And so what what, uh, Paul is saying here in the text is he says, and the head of Christ is God. Christ is subjecting Himself under the economic trinity that He he might understand the plan and the purpose, if you would, regarding humanity and God. Now, does he understand it? Yes, he understands it. Does he know what's going on? Yes, he understands what's going on. But he chooses to communicate through this economic trinity. If that makes sense, say amen right there. Number, verse number three. In verse number three, it's all about a man, a husband, who loves his wife more than himself. And he is, and the wife is equal to him. And the wife chooses to submit to her husband as her husband submits himself to God. It is a timeless truth that is never forced. In this passage of Scripture, it never, ever, ever, never in the Word of God does it ever communicate verbal, emotional, psychological or physical abuse. The Word of God, let me say it again, listen to me. The Word of God never, ever, ever communicates that a Christian husband is to verbally, emotionally, psychologically, or physically abuse his wife. It never says it. It does say that the husband is to surrender himself to Jesus Christ and live under the leadership of Christ as she lives under the leadership of her husband who was walking after Christ. He's talking about spiritual leadership. And so he says there's a distinction there. The distinction is that the husband will stand before God and give an account unto God how he led his family. And this distinction... It's timeless. It's a truth that we find all throughout the Word of God. Biblical distinctions. Number two. Let me give you a second thing very quickly. Next thing I want you to notice in verses 4 through 9 is I want you to notice cultural applications. There are some cultural applications that we see here that are vitally important. In these verses, Paul addresses a problem with the way uh, they were dressing in the church. I want you to notice uh, what happened there in verse 4 and 5 in particular. Look at what the Bible says. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covers, dishonors his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now, what in the world are you talking about here, Paul? He's giving a cultural application. As a matter of fact, if we're going to understand this, we've got to answer two questions. Number one, what, what does a covered head mean on a man in Corinth? Uh, what does that mean in Corinth? 
Well, as we ask ourselves that question, let me point two things out here. Number one in, in verse number four. If you have your pens, pencils, lipsticks, or mascara, I want you to underline that word praying. I want you to underline the word prophesying. The word praying means to pray out loud. David prayed before the service began. He said, let's pray. He prayed out loud. So that's what, that, that's what he's talking about there in the text. Number two, the word prophesying is not a foretelling of the future, but it's a foretelling of the truth concerning the gospel. Now, it is not limited to preaching behind the pulpit. It means to, it, it means to declare in a public setting, but it also means to declare in a private setting. So he's saying there, for a man, he says, every man that prays in public or that <clears throat> preaches the gospel in public or shares the gospel in public, whether it be with one person or with ten people or more, if his head is covered, he dishonors his head. Now, <clears throat> what does the word head mean? And what does it mean to dishonor it? Well, in the Bible, when you study the Bible, Scripture always interprets Scripture. So if you want the interpretation for verse number 4, you've got to go to verse number 3. And in going to verse number 3, watch this. Who is the head or what is the head of man? It's okay. I'm going to give you permission to talk in church today. You can talk in church. What's the, what's the head of man? Christ. All right, so look at the text. Every man praying in public or sharing the gospel in a public place, having his head covered, dishonors Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Why is that true? Why are you dishonoring Christ if you proclaim the gospel with your head covered? Remember, they're in Corinth. It's first century. In first century Corinth, there's all kinds of temples out there, and there's all kind of worship going on. Every one of those pagan worship services had a leader. And that leader communicated to the people and, sh and showed the people, demonstrated before the people, that he was the leader by covering his head. It was a cultural thing in Corinth. In Corinth, it was not uncommon to see the, great, the Greek false worshipers, the, also the uh, pagan false worshipers uh, of the Romans. Every one of them, they would cover their head. They would get up in the public place. They would cover their head. They would walk around with their heads covered. And they would point and say, there's the leader. There's the leader. There's the leader. He's the leader. He's the one that's in charge. He's the one that's got this uh, under control. And so the Bible says, you're dishonoring Christ in the first century by covering your head. Why? Because you're setting yourself up as the leader. Here's the question. Who's the leader of the church? Christ. Christ is the leader of the church. I'm not the leader of this church. You understand this isn't my church. I get tickled at people today. They'll, they'll meet me out in the, in the pub and they say, man, you, you got a big church. Well, that ain't my church. This is his church. This isn't my church. This isn't the deacon's church. This isn't the trustee's church. This isn't the finance team church. This is the Lord's church. It belongs to him, not me. I, my responsibility is to come to you and say, this is what the Lord says. It's not my responsibility. I think it says this, or I think it says that, and, and for me it means this, and for me it means that, and just be all wishy-washy. And No, 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 no. Man, I don't, we don't need that. You can get that on the news. You need to be able to come to church and get the Word of God preached from the man of God who's on fire for God with a passion for God that says, Thus saith the Lord. Hey. I mean, that's the kind of church I want to be in. So that's what the Lord says. He says it. 
I'm not the leader, so I'm not going to cover my head. I'm not the leader. If I'm in the first century, I'm not going to do it. Paul says, listen, uh, in regards to this, when you cover your head, you're setting yourself up as the leader. Number two, here's the second application. What an uncovered head meant on a woman in Corinth. Notice verse 5. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. Now, let's stop right there. Let's tackle that first part. First thing I want you to notice is the same word, prayeth and prophesieth. Okay? Now, listen to me very carefully. Here's where people get sideways on the Word of God. The Bible says that a woman can pray in public. The Bible says a woman can proclaim the gospel in public. Uh, we've had ladies come up here and they have shared their testimony and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is not talking about pastoring a church. He's talking about sharing our faith. And the, listen, the Great Commission was not just given to men. All right, let's try that again. The great, I'm going to say the Great Commission was not just given to men. And you used to give me a real hearty amen because it really is in the Bible. It's, it's the Bible says that we should all make disciples, okay? So the Word of God says, uh, it, it says that the Great Commission was for all people, not just for men. Amen. It really is true. So we all proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's, again, this word, uh, this word pro, uh, prophesying is a declaration of the gospel. All right, now watch this. It says, if she does this with her head covered, dishonoreth her head. Now we're going to interpret Scripture with Scripture again. So who is the head of the woman? What? Husband. Thank you. Her husband. Very good. Her husband. Why? Why is she dishonoring her husband if she is praying and her head is uncovered? In church. What, what's going on here, Paul? What's happening? Now, in first century Corinth, you have to understand that married women always went out in public with their head covered. And so they would always go out with their head covered because, remember, that one of the temples that was in Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite. And the temple of Aphrodite had temple prostitutes. Those temple prostitutes did not cover their head. They uncovered their head. They let their hair flow really long. Also, in the city, there were other prostitutes that did not cover their head. So a woman that did not cover her head communicated three things in first century Corinth. Now, follow me on this. Number one, the first thing it communicated was that she was available sexually. That was number one. She's available. She does not have a head covering on. She's available. Number two, it meant that she was immodest. She's immodest. And number three, she was immoral. This is what the culture said. The culture said she was available, she was immodest, and she was immoral. Is that what our culture says today? No, our culture does not say that today. But that's what the culture said then. So here, here's the question. So why did the women at the church of Corinth, why did they not cover their heads? What happened? What, what made them think that they could uncover their heads in church? What, what, what was going on there? Good question. In order to find it, you've got to go to Galatians chapter 3. Paul, he talked about it. Let me show you. Take your Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 3. Oh, you're going to like this. In Galatians chapter 3, 
he, be, he began in verse number 23 talking about this. I think it's important for us to get the context. So let's start in verse 23. Notice what the Bible says, Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. He says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law. Are you following me? If you're following me, say amen. amen. I don't want you to miss this. This is too important to just run through. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Watch verse 28. Here's the key verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There is neither male or what? Female. For we are all one in Christ. Do you see what Paul's saying here? You see what he's saying? He's saying we're all one in Jesus Christ. When you got saved, when Christ saved you, you've been set free from the law. And so you don't have to wear that head covering anymore in church. And so the women said, woo And they took him things off. But, but, culture said, you're immoral, you're immodest, and you're available. And Paul says, because of that, you need to limit your freedom in Jesus Christ and cover your head in, first, in the first century. Because no husband wants their wife to go out in public or even in church and stand up and communicate that she is immoral, immodest, or available. You understand? Does it make sense now? So he says here in the text, he says the point that, that he's making here is just simply this. We cannot ignore cultural and, social, and uh, social implications concerning our actions. We are equal in Christ, but the culture in Corinth deemed that there had to be a change. Were the women free in Jesus Christ? Yes. But the culture said, if you don't cover your head, you're going to be considered a prostitute. You're going to be looked at as being immoral, immodest, and sexually available. And no husband wants their Christian wife to fall into that category. So Paul says, protect yourself. Cover your head. Now let me ask you this. Do we have a problem with this in this century, in the 21st century? No, we don't. We don't have a problem with this. That's why we don't cover our heads. So ladies, relax. You don't have to cover your head. I don't have a problem with that. Nobody in here thinks that you're available and modest or immoral because of what you do or do not put on your head. But let's put an application here. The culture could say, depending on what you wear. Verse 6. Look at what he says in verse 6. Uh, so if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. That, that word, like a, like a sheer sheep. He says, but uh, if it be a shame for the woman to be sheared like a sheep or shave her head, then let her be covered. What Paul is saying here in, that, in this text, he's simply saying that a shaved head could communicate something in Corinth. You know what it communicated? It communicated adultery. 
It says it communicates adultery. So, look, if you're going to go out and you're, not, and you're just going to be, no, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to dictate the culture. I'm not going to let culture dictate me. Most God, I'm not going to cover my head. If you want to be that kind of woman and just say, I'm not going to do it in first century, he said, you might as well shave your head. He said, it'll be just like a scarlet letter on you. He said, it'll be a shame. It'll be a disgrace. Don't do it. He said, just cover your head. Protect yourself. Protect your family. In verse 7 through 9 simply means that uh, a Christian husband uh, to his wife uh, loves his wife with all of his heart. Look at what the Bible says in verse 7. He says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he's in the image of the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now let me just be honest here. Listen to me very carefully. This passage is not saying that a woman is not in the image of God. It's not saying that. What Paul is saying here in this text, Paul is simply saying that when it comes to a Christian, a Christian wife, he understands that his wife is his prime rib. You'll get that at lunch. You just keep thinking about it. You think about it. You think about it. Mull that over in your head, and you'll get it at lunch. It's a prime rib. Oh, I get it. I, he was taken out of his side. Prime, number one. Okay. <sighs> number nine. If you're glad you're here, say amen. amen. I'm glad you hadn't gone anywhere. Y'all are sticking in place. Look at verse 9. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Now, listen to me very carefully in this text. Paul is not being sexist. This is not a sexist statement. So well, how is it? Let me look at it. It looks like it. It's not. What Paul is saying here is man is incomplete without a woman. So he's missing a piece. He's going back to Genesis chapter 1, uh, or actually Genesis chapter 2. Remember when, when Adam was naming the animals and said uh, male and female, male and female, and the Bible says he come to this conclusion, everybody's got a partner but me. And so what did God do? God, who, who created Adam, and by the way, he was male, needed a helpmate, he needed a partner, he needed somebody to complete him, and God gave him a female out of his side. And they both are in the image of God. And he said, whoa, man, I like her. So, listen, get this. This is what this passage is saying, verse 9. Man was incomplete. Without his wife. That's the cultural application. Now, i got to finish up. I'm hurrying. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Five minutes. So let me give you the pointed conclusions. The pointed conclusions. Verses 10 through 16, Paul closes this up, dealing with culture. And really what he's saying is, listen, this, this application, what I'm giving you, church, Paul is saying, first century church, this is just for you. This is a cultural problem that you have in Corinth. We, as a church, we're in Maysville, Georgia, to God be the glory. Aren't you glad we're in Maysville and not Las Vegas? Aren't you glad you're in Maysville and not in downtown Atlanta? Can I get a witness right there? I am thankful to God we're in Maysville, Georgia. We don't have the same culture here in Maysville that we have in Atlanta. And so Paul, what Paul is saying is there are some cultural things the church needs to do and some cultural things the church doesn't need to do when it comes to your culture. When, when uh, I go overseas, um, I went to Indonesia. There were some areas where the ladies had to cover their head. Why? Because that was the culture. I wasn't trying to be sexist or misogynist or have any kind of toxic masculinity. That was just the culture. 
And, and so we find here that the culture is vitally important. So in these closing verses, Paul makes some pointed comments to wrap his thoughts up concerning God's ordained order and why he wanted the things done the way that he wanted them done. Number one, the first thing was personal obedience. Look at what the Bible says in verse 10. The Bible says, For this cause, because of this, <clears throat> because of everything I just said, ought the women to have power on her head because of the angels. Now, here's a verse that just hits you out of nowhere, isn't it? Where in the world did this come from? Let's see if we can make some sense out of it. So Paul's saying here in this text... For this cause, because of everything I just said, the culture that's around you, what's happening, yes, you've got freedom in Christ. Yes, you've been set free. You don't have to wear that head covering anymore. But because the culture is so bad there, the culture dictates to you to put this on. He says, for all this reason, the woman ought to have power on her head. Let's stop right there. Now, the word power there means that you have a choice. You have it, you're, you're an individual. You have a free will, ladies. That's what he's saying there. You have a free will. To do this. Now, what does the word head here mean? Does it, let me ask you this way. Does the word head here mean God? Yes or no? No. Does the word head here mean husband? Yes or no? No. <laughs> so how do you tell? How can you tell if it means husband? Look at the text. It'll tell you. What's the preposition before the word her? On. On her head. On her head. So the, it's, it's telling us here in the text. He says the woman ought to have power on her head. You can put it on or you can take it off. It's your choice. What do you want to do? You want to wear a hat to church or do you not want to wear a hat to church? It's your choice to put it on your head or not to put it on your head. So look, I don't care. You're going to wear a hat next week. Praise God. I'm just wonderful. If you don't want to wear a hat, you're fine. Ladies, every lady in the house, take a deep breath. And go, ah. You don't have to wear a hat in church. That's good. That's good. That's really good. He says there, watch this. Here's what it boils down to. He tells us there about the angels. You see it there? Because of the angels. So what does that mean? Some scholars, and, I, and there's a, a tendency to lean towards this. They just don't know, okay? They don't know. But if you put this in its context, what, it, what it's saying is... In this room today, in 21st century, just as in 1st century, here's a cross-cultural doctrine. There are angels in here. We can't see them. If, we were to see, if our spiritual eyes were open and we could see, we'd see the angels that are here. These angels are looking at you, ladies in particular, and they're looking at you and they're fascinated with our worship and they're looking as to the direction of your heart. Are you humble in this area or are you proud? And so he, he says in this text, he says, look, you've got the power to put it on or put it off because of the angels. They're in the room and they're watching and they're seeing. Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you just doing it for show? Or are you doing it because you want to worship the Lord? Personal obedience. Number two, watch this. <clears throat> Biblical origins. Biblical origins, verse 11 and 12. You see what he says there? He says, nevertheless, he says, let me, let me get to something else. Neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things 
of God. Basically, in a Christian marriage, the husband and wife need each other. They complement each other. That's what in the Lord means. He's talking about uh, husbands and wives inside the church. He says, you guys are functioning as, as a divinely ordered team that God uses and helps uh, the husband and the wife. And by the way, he's pointing out, again, gender roles, male and female. Not female and female. Not male and male. Not male and however many of the other genders that are out there uh, that they say, he just say, he says, male and female, biblical origins. Number three, supportive opportunities. Here's how he closes it out, verse 13 through 16. Paul closes his teaching on culture and the church and God's ordained order uh, by supporting his teaching with three points. He says, I want you to look to three things, and you'll know I'm telling you the truth. He says, the first one, he says, this is common sense. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 13. He says, judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? He says, this is common sense. He says, when you look around and you notice that the only women that are uncovered are the ones that are saying they're available, they're immodest, they're immoral. They're not praying to God. It just, it's common sense, he says, in your culture. Number two, watch this. Second thing he says. He says, look to the culture, verse 14 and 15. He says, doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is the glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. What's he saying there? He's saying, look at the culture. What does the culture say? In 21st century, the culture said, if you, wore, if you were a man and had long hair, you're shameful. Does that what that means today? No, that doesn't mean that today. You're okay, brother. No shame. I wish I had your locks. David, don't you wish you had hair like that? I'm telling you the truth, me too. I mean, really. Uh, so it's not a cultural problem. Do you agree with that? Now, watch this now. Watch. But, let's do a little but here. Are there jobs out there today that you can or can't get de depending on right. your hair? Sure is. Okay. Now, it's getting serious now, isn't it? S same thing. Facial. Facial hair. You know, there's some churches, I'll tell you what, they'd run me off for having a beard. Well, we're country rednecks out here, aren't we? Like old brother saying, yep, yep, you're right, brother. You preach it. Amen, brother. You preach it, preacher boy. All right, so, so yeah, that's true. Here's another one. Here's something else I thought about. Tattoos. Are there, are there some positions that you may not get because you have tattoos exposed? So, again, listen, he's just talking about culture. They didn't have a problem in 21st century with the same problems we have in the 21st century. Does it make sense? So that's what he's saying here. He says, look to the culture. And then number three, I'm done after this. He says, it's church practice in verse 16. It's church practice. Uh, notice the text, and I'll, and I'll uh, give a statement. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. He just simply says, all the churches, all the churches around practice this principle. They look to the culture. They make a common sense um, decision on whether or not the church needs to participate in this or not. 
If the church doesn't need to participate in it, in unity, we move forward and we don't participate in it. If it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. We just, we don't deal with it. So listen to me very carefully. Whether you wear your hat to church or not, ladies, it does not matter. But let me say this. In regards to this issue, there are some denominations that still practice this, right? How about the Amish? In the Amish, they still practice this. The Mennonites, they still practice this. Uh, even the conservative Pentecostals still practice this. They wear their little head covering. Now remember, don't miss the point here. The point uh, was not uh, in, in regards to... Uh, um, well, let me give you the point. The point was is that culture can, can display what is moral and what is immoral. And so today, women don't have to cover their heads. But they do need to dress modestly. Amen? Hey. We do need to be covered. And men, you need to be covered too. We're living today, my stars. Men need to be covered. I ain't never seen anything like it. Good night. All right, so let me do this. Let me make some general applications and some specific applications. And we're going to be done this morning. We're going to go home. And then we'll have a great time of fellowship tonight with the Super Bowl. And you may even see some of these things and go, hey, preacher preached about that today. Okay? General applications for 2019. <laughs> I love you. Y'all were, were the best. This is the best church to preach. I mean, I just, I love it. Okay, here's some two, two applications for 2019. Number one. There is a distinction between men and women. When you read this text, you walk away from it in 2019 saying, there is a distinction between men and women. And watch this. We should not blur these lines. Husbands should be the spiritual leader of the home. Wives should be the help meet. Let me put it to you this way. Judy, where are you at? Judy Clay, I think she's right there. She is. She does a great job explaining this when she teaches this. Excellent job when Judy teaches this. Judy says this. Judy says, Richard, her husband, is the head. And Judy says, she is the neck. Now, you try to turn your head without turning your neck. I mean, bless God, you can't do it. You got to turn. The neck goes with the head. And she says that willing submission to her husband communicates to him the spiritual leadership that he needs to lead her spiritually. Do they talk? Yes. Do they talk about the decisions? Yes. He's the spiritual leader, she's the, she, he's the spiritual head, she's the spiritual neck. Excellent, excellent point, Judy. Well taken. Thank you for preaching that this morning. Number two, projecting sexual promiscuity in dress and action does not honor God or your husband. Uh, let me put it to you this way. We shouldn't be sexy in church. That's a big word today, isn't it? I mean, everything's sexy. I mean, you have people taking pictures of their food going, oh, that's a sexy steak. <laughs> Are you serious? I mean, really? I ain't never seen anything like it in my life, David. <laughs> that word, sexy, that really just should be reserved for the bedroom. I mean, it really should be. It really should be. I mean, I don't, I don't understand what, why, why did we get to the point in our culture, watch this Christians, I'm just, I'm talking to us as believers, I'm challenging us, I'm, I'm trying to challenge you as a believer. Why did we get to the point in our culture as born again children of God, Christians, when did we adopt the, the, the same thing that the, our culture, uh, our culture says and, and take a picture of our husband or our wife and, and ask the world, isn't he sexy? What does that communicate? 
You, do you understand what I'm saying? If you understand, do like, it's right here. Okay, good. Praise God. Because I, look, I'm just telling you the culture, that's what the culture says. We need to be careful. Okay, here's some specific applications for you and I. I'm trying to keep them short. Applications number one. Uh, application number one, cross-dressing blurs gender lines. We, we shouldn't cross-dress today. Men shouldn't dress like women. Women shouldn't dress like men. Uh, man, that's, that is, that's unpopular today. But I'm, I'm telling you, it blurs the lines. And God's very specific here that there are male and female. Don't, don't blur those lines. Number two, here's a harder one. Transgender issues blur gender lines. Now, I know, now I want you to hear my heart here. I know that there are some anomalies that exist in our medical world today that will produce sometimes a hermaphrodite, one that, that's gender can go either way. Th these things happen, and if you're one of those today, I want to tell you, God loves you, and he did not, he did not uh, make a mistake with you. He loves you deeply. And my heart goes out to those individuals that, that truly experience this. But I'm telling you, you got, you got folks that are having babies today and that are having baby girls, and they're saying, well, I'm going to let that kid pick a gender when, whenever they want to. Well, bless God, they'll pick, they may pick genders six times before they turn six years old. I mean, I just don't make any sense. God assigned the gender to that child. God assigned that gender, either male or female. And the anomalies that happen today, thank God that God has given wisdom to doctors and nurses that they might maybe spend some time to figure out what's the best plan, the best, the best plan of attack on this. But it, it, it blurs gender lines. And transgender is an anomaly. It ought not to be something that's at the top of the list. I know that's unpopular, but I'm just trying to share my heart with you. Number three, avoid dressing in ways that appear sexually provocative or promiscuous. I know we shouldn't have to say that in the 21st century, but we do. We should not come to church dressed provocatively or promiscuously. We ought to have all of our parts covered. Can I get an amen right there? Thank you, sister. You preach it. I'll turn the pages. Number four. Here's the fourth one. I'm almost done. Y'all hanging in here good. Wives, let your behavior and dress honor God and your husbands. Here's for husbands. Husbands, when we love God and lead our family well, we make that easy for our wives. When we love and lead our families well under God, we make it easy for our wives. Okay, now let me share this with you because here's, here's the big question of the day in closing. People read this passage and they say, Okay, Pastor, what we hear you saying is you're saying that 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is cultural. It's not timeless. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is some timeless elements in this pa passage, just like there is in every passage, but this is a cultural passage. It was for first century, okay? It was for the first century. We have to contextualize the text in order to bring it up into the 21st century, okay? Do you understand what I just said there? All right, so good, very good. So what do you do with 1 Timothy chapter 2? Why is that not cultural? Well, first of all, you've got to see what I'm talking about. So uh, turn over to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2 so you'll understand what I'm referring to. 
First Timothy chapter 2. I'm almost done, and I thank you for hanging in here with me. I promise I won't preach this long in any other, other of these messages, but I needed to take care of this in one sitting. I could not divide this one up, and I thought today would be a great day because we're not coming back tonight. All right. First <clears throat> Timothy chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14. Look at what the Bible says there. The Bible says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to assert authority over the man, but to be, to, to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, uh, was in the transgression. Okay, let's stop right there. So, w why then, here's the question that you'll get asked. Why is that text not cultural? Does that, does that make sense? Why is that not cultural? And there's a reason why. The reason why this text is timeless and not cultural is because it takes us back to creation. Every timeless passage of Scripture in some way, shape, or form when it comes to doctrinal instruction will take you back to creation. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, what you see is you'll see the principle will be stated. What's the principle here? The principle here that we find is found in verse number 12. He says, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor assert authority over the man, but to be in silence. There's the principle, okay? Then you have to apply the principle. Where's this application to take place? In the church, okay? It's talking about to Timothy about being in the church. Okay, what's the support for this? The support, he says, watch it, it's right here in the Scripture. The support was, for Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. The support takes you back to creation and says Eve was deceived. Man willingly went with her. This is a timeless passage. Now, turn back over to 1 Corinthians and watch this. Let's do the same thing we did with this passage, okay? The same thing we did with 1 Timothy. What's the principle? The principle here is men, do not cover your head. Women, cover your head. That's the principle, all right? What's the application? In the church. Same, same point, in the church. What's the support? The support is the culture. You see it there? It's not going back to creation. It's culture. That's why we don't wear our hats in church, unless you want to. Now, in America, uh, as men, let me take you as an example, brother. Yeah, you came in, you came in with your cowboy hat. When you walked in the door, the first thing you did was what? You took it off. In fact, you told me when I sat down, don't sit on my cowboy hat. And I said, bless God, by the time I'm finished with this message, your wife may have to put that hat on. <laughs> I want to say, I'm just joking. Why did he take his hat off? Why do we take our hats off at the national anthem? That's our culture. That's our culture. If we want to really get technical, watch this. You'll love this, Justin. If we really want to get technical on this, when you wear your hat in, in the church, you come in the church and you have your hat on, it's not that you have your hat on in the house of God. You have your hat on the house of God. Because the Holy Spirit lives where? In you. We are the church. The church. So culturally, it's vitally important. But can I tell you what's more important than culture? It's where you're going to spend an eternity. 
That's more important than anything. Where are you going to spend eternity? If you were to die today, where would you go? Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Let me give you a timeless truth. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. And that goes all the way back to Genesis. All the way back. That's how you know it's timeless. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. It's timeless. And God loved you so much. He didn't want you to go to hell. So he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Do you know him? Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Phil, you don't have to get up, brother. You stay right where you're at. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as Savior, I want you to do this this morning. I want to ask you, from your heart to God's heart, would you pray something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I ask you to save my soul. This morning I repent and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please, no one looking around. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all your heart, you trusted Christ this morning, this is what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. There is a yellow card in that seat pocket in front of you. That seat in front of you, there's a little pocket. There's a yellow card right there. Will you take that yellow card out? And on the back of that yellow card, there's a little box that says, Today I've trusted Christ as Savior. Would you check that little yellow box right there? Would you make sure that you have your name and your address on that card? And then when we leave here in just a second, I want you to turn that card in at the Welcome Center. I have a book that I'm going to mail to you. I want to mail it to you. Now, I'm going to do this, this service, what I did last service. We're going to close with a spirit of prayer. And I'm going to ask us to leave in the spirit of prayer. And the altars are going to be open. I'm going to leave the altars open this morning. And if you'd like to come and pray, you're welcome to come and pray. If you want to come talk to me, you can come talk to me. I've got David up here. I've got Pastor Justin up here and Pastor David. You can come. We'll pray for you, whatever. Whatever you need, you can come today. I really, really, really said, Pastor, you don't normally do this. You're right, I don't. But I am today. It was this important. This passage was this important. I deeply love you. And I want to pray for you if you'd like, if you need that. We want to love on you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you dismiss us in the spirit of prayer. Thank you for loving us. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.